Hi, I'm Billy Shore. Welcome to Add Passion and Stir. It's our weekly conversation about food, passion, and making a difference in the world. And today we're having this conversation with Gemma Stafford, who is the author of a great cookbook. It's actually one of my favorite because of the kind of food that Gemma likes to cook. It's called Bold Baking. Gemma came to the U.S. from Ireland, and she's still got this great Irish accent. We might even have to talk about Irish literature a little bit, Gemma, which is one of my favorites, but welcome so much to Add Passion and Stir. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, really thrilled you're here. You know, I want to talk, Gemma, about the book and about some of the stuff that you've done for Share Our Strength. I think you were recently involved in our bakeathon, but I, I always like to uh, start, and I know so many of our listeners just like to hear the story, particularly with somebody who has such a passion for food and for cooking. I always like to start with where it started for you. And I think I'd read that you used to help your mother make apple crumble. So it started, it sounds like you started at, at a very young age in the kitchen, but tell us a little bit more on where you grew up in Ireland. So I grew up in uh, in a little town called Wexford, Ireland. It's Southeast Ireland. And um, I I had, I was very fortunate to have a really good teacher, which was my mom. And one thing my mom never did was she never told us that like we weren't allowed to be in the kitchen, that we weren't allowed to make something by ourselves. She she let us uh, in uh, to experiment, to help her, to bake on our own, to cook on our own. And um, I think like definitely my mom throughout I, and my whole career as a as a pastry chef and the different teachers and, and bosses I had, my mom is definitely the one who had the most influence on me. Um, she was, she is still to this day an amazing cook, an amazing baker, and we were very fortunate as a large uh, Irish Catholic family of seven of us to have like really like homemade meals every night. Um, my mom made everything from scratch, apart from the the few frozen cheese pizzas on a Saturday night when they went out. But she just made everything look so. She made everything look so easy, and it. Uh, so when it came to cooking and it came to baking, I didn't have um, this. I didn't perceive it to be something that was hard, you know, because I hear that a lot from my audience. That like I thought it was hard, and I, I never had that. I always thought it looked really easy because my mom just did it um, without thinking about it, and uh, that. So that was that was my. She was my first teacher, and. Um, the the person who I'm um, still to this day has influenced me the most. Is she still cooking? Yes. And did any of the other of the does, what did you have? Is it five brothers and sisters or seven? So there's five uh, kids altogether. There's four girls and one boy. And did anybody else take to cooking and baking, or is it just you? They, they did. Everybody learned how to. Everybody was taught how to cook, and that was one thing that always stuck with me. My mom said that the best one of the best skills you can give your children is teach them how to cook before sending them out into the world and uh like she was dead right all of us uh, my brother and sisters included everybody knows how to cook how how to feed themselves how to take care of themselves and um and are, are all are all very good cooks and one thing um as well as that is that we also had um because my mom was such a good cook we also had um like a love of food, like a little passion for food. So it was one time in the house where, you know, there really wasn't any fighting was like when you're eating, they, you know, we weren't, um, 
you know, the one thing that kind of brought us together as a family is like talking, like when I ring home to this day, I, I, I get asked, you know, what are you having for your dinner? And, and then, you know, I ask them what they're having for their dinner. And it's, it's like, the, it is kind of the, just the conversation in our house is always around food. It's something that we all um, are very passionate about is good food. What was your mom's specialty? What was the best thing she made? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so my mom, I'm, I have to say, so I think, I don't know if this is just Irish mammies or all mammies. You can tell me this, Billy, but my, my mom was the, made the best Irish stew. She made the best shepherd's pie. She made the best lasagna. Like it was always like, no matter what, like my mom made the best one. But I think, um, you know, she just, uh, a lot of our food, um, the kind of food memories that I have of being like young and coming home from school were like big jugs of soup left on the table for us and um like Irish stew and like spaghetti bolognese and like she, she and she made like a variety of uh curries and things that you wouldn't necessarily think that we would eat in Ireland but because we're such a small island and get a lot of influence from other countries is even even in the 80s and 90s when I was uh, when I was young um, we, you know, we ate a lot of, of different, different uh, flavors, a lot of different spices. We ate, we ate um, a lot of seafood and fish, which was very popular in my house. And my, my mom just, she gave us, she exposed us to everything. So we were afraid of nothing. And you went to the School of Culinary Arts in Dublin, didn't you? I did. I went to um, a school called Cahill Brewer Street. It's um, an institute of technology. And there at around, um, gosh, was I 18? I studied uh, professional cookery uh, for two years there, um, which this was the main culinary school in Ireland uh, where where that was like certified. Then um, after that, um, I, I worked for a little bit and then uh, maybe a year later or so I went to Ballymaloo Cookery School, which a lot of people might know of this. Um, actually, one of the world's most famous cooking schools in County Cork run by um, a lady called Jarena Allen. And um, does your mother still get the lion's share of the credit or do the cooking schools get some too? No, my mom does. My mom still does. <laughs> and and Jeremy, uh, when we're not in the midst of a pandemic, how often do you get back to visit? You know, I used to go three times a year and uh, now we're we're going um, now we haven't been home. I haven't been home in a year. And the thing about it is, is that um, beginning of the pandemic, I had a when we went into lockdown, I had a one month old baby. So between a new baby and a pandemic, for lots of different reasons, we haven't been able to travel. So it, it has been a long time, but I'm, I hope to go home for the holidays. Well, Gemma, when we had a new baby, our son is now 15, but when he was uh, just a little before his second birthday, we were really uh, eager to go overseas. And we were trying to think of like, what's the shortest way to get there? So it was Boston to Dublin was the yeah. shortest flight that we thought he could tolerate. And he actually tolerated it pretty well. But we had, that's the only time I've been to Ireland. We had an amazing, amazing trip. And uh, from a food point of view, it turned out pretty good because we were uh in not only in dublin but in kenmare and we went to kinsale and we happened yeah. to get there the day that they had started a thing called the taste of kinsale which was yeah. a you know a food and wine kind of a food event uh that you got to taste everything and, and we just loved every minute there and um and sounds like your little one will you know maybe be ready to travel by the time the pandemic's over 
Yeah, I, I think so. Like they say that like for myself and my husband, we would travel a lot because of work. And then also I would travel home to Ireland a few times a year. And, um, you know, they say babies adjust. Uh, I haven't been on a plane with him yet. So I'm really hoping to God that it all goes smoothly. But, you know, my, my plan down the road is to spend um, as much time in Ireland as I do in the US and just go between the two. So um, he's going to be he's going to be exposed to a lot no matter what. I would just assume that on that first flight, well, the best way to do this is to assume that either you or your husband are going to be standing the entire time with your baby, probably bouncing up and down on your knees. Oh. And if, if you get to sit down at all, it'll just be a bonus. So just, you oh, know, my gosh. <laughs> in the worst case, but I think I stood for about four of the six hours on the way over there, but it, it was worth it. It was worth it. And was it a hard decision to uh, pick up and come to the U.S.? No, it wasn't. It was a... I tell you what, I didn't, I knew it was the right move when I was very young. Um, I was, I was only, um, I probably was an eight or eight or nine or so. I don't know if you um, have ever seen this movie, Billy, but it's uh, a movie with Diane Keating called, uh, I'm sorry, my dog is rolling around on the bed. Um, they, it's called Baby Boom. And oh, yeah. it's about Diane Keating. Um, she's, um, uh, I think, a CEO in New York, a very high-powered woman in, a, in a, a big position. And she packs it all in to go up to upstate New York. And this is why I wanted to go there. Um, was uh, And she, she, she buys a house and it has apple. There's an apple orchard there and she starts making applesauce. And I was probably, that came out late 80s. I probably was around seven or so. And when I saw that movie, I was like, that's what I want to do. I'm going to move to the United States and I'm going to do something like this. Like, it sounds fantastic. And um, I never, I never forgot it. I, I traveled a lot uh, over my career as a chef. And I, I, I spent some time in Australia because it was very easy for Irish people to get visas to Australia. Um, I applied for a visa to go work in Canada, even though that wasn't where I wanted to be. Where I wanted to be was the US. And for your listeners who have ever gone through like immigration here or whatever, it's it's really not easy. But I was hell bent on getting a visa coming to the US. And uh, I said to myself early on, by the age of 25, you're going to move to the United States. And I was, I was 25 when I first came over here. But it, it, I, I didn't think about it. I just knew I said, this is where you need to be. Um, as much as I love Ireland and I'm very proud of where I came from, it wasn't where I was supposed to be. And now I, 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 I never looked back. I always knew, uh, even through ups and downs, and it hasn't always been plain sailing, that um, that I was this is where I'm supposed to be. Well, I'd love to talk about the ups and downs a little bit because, you know, from the outside, it look, I know that success never comes in a, a straight path or a, in a straight line. Uh, and it's always harder than uh, it looks. And, and in some ways, I, I feel like you've made it look easy. But, but the challenge of coming and establishing yourself uh, and getting known and becoming a force and a presence as you, uh, as you are in a, in a relatively short time, that, that couldn't have been easy. What was that like for you? No, it um it wasn't it was a very short time. Yeah, you're right. We we had success early on. We've been doing bigger boulder baking now for sorry, myself and my husband, let me backtrack a little bit. Um I've been doing bigger boulder baking for seven years. Before I started bigger boulder baking, um when I when I did move to the US, I, I spent a year in uh, South Lake Tahoe, which is kind of a random place to like land when you come to the US. 
Um, and I worked as a, a bread apprentice and it was a grueling job. Like, um, Lutal was beautiful, there's no doubt about it, but my job was grueling. I was, I was um, a bread baker at two o'clock in the morning and I was 25, so my lifestyle wasn't really conducive to that. And um, it was really tough, but um, I knew that I still wasn't, I, I, I wanted to kind of stay in California. I wanted to get out of Tahoe. Um, so I moved to San Francisco and I got a, um, a job in a Michelin star restaurant in, uh, in the Pacific Heights. And I was there uh, for a year or so. And the funny thing about it is like, I, I was probably, I don't know, I was 26, 27 at this stage. And I was probably earning less money than I did when I was 19. Like I could barely, like, honest to God, honest to God, I could barely pay my rent. Uh, during the quiet times when they cut people's hours, I and I had very I, I paid six hundred dollars in rent in a house in San Francisco, which was um, was not a lot of money. And uh, technically, my, my bedroom wasn't even actually a bedroom; it was kind of a closet. <laughs> but anyway, um, the it wasn't. Uh, where was I? Sorry, um, I I couldn't survive. I, I absolutely I could barely survive. I was in San Francisco. I was on my own. I. Uh, there was a recession, a global recession going on around me. I left in the summer of 2008 before Ireland went into recession. And um, it was it was a very hard time. There was no I, I never really during my life, uh, during my travels, I, when I spent time in Italy and spent time in Australia, I never rang home looking for help. And I did that in 2008. I had to ring home and say, like, I need help. I am. I, um, I, I can barely afford to live here. And they just had to tell me, like, we can't help. There, there's no money. Ireland is 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 in a really bad way. Like, it's such a small island. Um, the ripple effect is just unbelievable. Um, so I I hung up the phone and I said, like, there's. I heard a good saying that you can't fall off the floor. And I, I just, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you who said that quote because <laughs> it's a TV personality, but um, it made sense to me because I couldn't go any lower. I could barely afford rent. I um, I wasn't like out partying. I wasn't like uh, spending a lot of money. I was, I was trying to pay. I was trying to survive, and um, I was, I was barely making it. So I had no choice but to quit my job in the Michelin restaurant because I couldn't afford to work there anymore. That it took. It, I worked a huge amount of hours. I got paid very little. And I had no choice but to quit. And I tried, you know, um, before I left, because I loved I loved my job and I loved uh, there was great camaraderie with all the chefs in the kitchen. And there were some of my like now family because I was alone in the city. And I went into my boss and I asked for a raise. And this was when I was getting, I, mm, gosh, I don't know, like uh, minimum, definitely minimum wage. And I asked for a raise and um, when it, when he was arguing with me over 25 extra, sorry, 25 cents extra an hour, I was sitting at the table and I was like, yeah, no, I, I don't have a choice here. I have to, I have to leave. So I, I, uh, I quit my job and I went on, this was, let me see, what I said, 2009, I went on Craigslist, uh, which is for, especially somebody working in the culinary world, uh, a young chef, you, you, you know, you find all your jobs on Craigslist back then. And I got a job um, making breakfast for a tech company, which I thought was just kind of like a small gig and, you know, 
um, I didn't, I didn't realize that this was going to be my saving grace. And I went into this tech company and, you know, it was different in Silicon Valley in 2008, you know, they were kind of, there was, there was light at the end of the tunnel, whereas Ireland was in absolute uh, disarray uh, financially. The, uh, I went into this tech startup and I made them breakfast and. It was like, was a, like a corporate um, cooking gig. Yeah, it was exactly. Yeah. It, um, so it was it. Uh, I'm trying to think of the word, what you call it, but um, it was it was catering for these tech guys. And they said to me, you know, OK, maybe you'll do it once or twice a week. And I saw the opportunity and I went in and I was like, you're going to give me the job and I'm going to do it as many days a week as you'll have me. And I had no money in the bank. I had very little money to start a business. And I just went um I just like went for it and within uh, a few months I was profitable because I, I spent very little and uh, I was able to like buy a car, be able to take on more clients. I hired every girl that I lived with in my house and um, you know, it, we, I made it work. And uh, that, there, I think that was one of the times in my life where I realized, Jesus, like you're, you're resilient. Wow. I mean, that's quite a story. And I, I, you know, in some ways, it's not uncommon among those who have been successful in the culinary community, because one of the things we always find is that is that there really aren't many straight lines to success. There's zigs and zags and ups and downs. And it, it is the resilience and the kind of the entrepreneurship, the willingness to, you know, do what you have to do and kind of make your own breaks, which you were able to do. Yeah, I, I hope I answered your question there, Billy, because you were asking me about like the ups and the downs. And yeah, um, when uh, so it, it, I, I've always had ups and downs, um, but I, 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 I've learned that, like I, I think I don't know if it's because I'm Irish, but like I'm fiery and determined, and I just and that's really what has gotten me to where I am. I've just been hell bent on, like I, I know that my vision, like I, I know what I'm looking for, and I, I, what I set out to achieve, and I'm just hell bent on getting it, and that has served me well. Uh, up until this point and th there's been ups and downs with um, bigger boulder baking as well you know myself and my husband um we, we started it together and we we uh financed the business with our own cash and on, until we ran out of money then we, we made a little bit of money from the business and um, a few years in then we went through all that money and then we, we then we were back to like like really worried about like listen we know this is the right direction that we're in the right direction we know this is what we want to do we know this is, is so much is going to be so much bigger than than us um, we have to keep going and um, now seven years in and we have a team of around eight or nine people all around the world um, we were able to put that money back into our accounts and you know onwards and upwards and um we've had we've had um a great a great year for uh for work and and we hope there's many more to come and the book uh which i misnamed uh when i first introduced you as bold baking is bigger bolder baking uh and it says on the cover a fearless approach to baking anytime anywhere that's that's the subtitle a fearless approach uh 
and you sound fearless uh, and you sound hellbent. Uh, you can hear that in your in your in the timbre of your voice. But for you, what makes it fearless? What, what why did you why did you want fearless in the subtitle? I, I think it's a very powerful word, and I don't know if you would always associate it with baking. Um, but to be bold is about being about being fearless. Uh, like the definition of to be bold is about being fearless and taking chances and taking risks. And that's what that's what I, I think my style is. And I, I have worked um, around the world as a chef. And I, I found myself in Italy working in a kitchen that had we arrived late at night. There there was no electricity. There was a fridge, but there was no electricity. So the fridge was off. There was, I think, a cow heart in the fridge or something. And, you know, honest to God. And then we were told, you know, like we have to make uh, breakfast the next morning. And there was like no utensils. There was, I think, a little toaster oven or something. And um, if, you know, we were left alone to, we were left to our own devices. We were told down to the, go down to the village and get um, whatever food you need. And, you know, after a few nights, once we got the run of the place, we, uh, we were making homemade fresh pasta rolling it out with empty wine bottles and drying it around the kitchen on the handles of sweeping brushes and uh you know it was just a little bit of i think it's, i think this is, might be a bit of an irish thing but like needs must you know well like you have to you have to make do with what you have and that's what i've always done and that's the way the book is broken up as well it's about making do with what you have and even um you know, like you don't have, like you can still make pasta without a pasta machine. It's very easy. It's very doable, and it's like, still delicious. You know, and that's those are the kind of barriers that I feel like I've been breaking down for uh, my uh, since the beginning of bigger, bolder baking, and pretty much my career. And how how long did the book germinate before it was born? And how is it, how has it changed things? It's I'm going to say it's out about a year and two months now. Is that right? Yeah, long? that's right. Um, those recipes are um, those recipes come from uh, for those chefs who are listening. They ha- uh, we we have uh, lots of chefs have little notebooks in their pockets in kitchens, and they travel from kitchen to kitchen with um, the same notebook or a new notebook, and they just gather um, recipes as they uh, move from one restaurant to another. And that's where those recipes came from. They came from my notebooks. They came from. Um, Australia, they came from Italy, they came from America, they came from Ireland. And uh, it was a collection. It, it was pretty much my personal repertoire of recipes. And it was um, a little bit of um, a little bit of, throughout the whole book, a little bit of storytelling and uh, my journey as a chef. So it was um, it was really nice to be able to put that into one book even if it was just for me, because now, like, that's what I reference. When we uh, we um, had the holidays here recently, and I, I I used my book for everything that we made. So, like, and I hope that other people are using it as their, like, go-to, uh, like, repertoire as well. And how has the book changed things? It's certainly uh, helped you reach a larger audience. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, for, you know, for quite a few years, um, I was I was kind of known. Uh, so we started out doing YouTube as our first platform online, and uh, then we expanded our website and went on other social media platforms. But for quite a while, I was known as this Irish chick that made uh, recipes in a mug on YouTube, 
and um, because that's what I, I, I was known for. Some of my biggest recipes, uh, even though I'm a professionally trained chef, uh, were about making uh, meals and making cakes in uh, in a mug in the microwave. And you know, it was just a niche that we found with our audience that a lot of people didn't have ovens. So I was known as this girl on um, YouTube with a funny accent who makes stuff in a mug. And when it came to the book, it kind of just legitimized um, bigger, bolder baking and me a little bit more as a professional chef. And uh, somebody like hopefully who knows what she's talking about and who makes a, a lot more than uh, recipes in the microwave. Uh, Gemma, when you're making just some treat for you or your husband, what, what, are, you, what are you cooking at home for yourself? Um, you know, I tend to go to recipes to like my comfort food. So um, recipes like rice pudding, which it sounds so boring, but I just like when I make rice pudding, it just transports me back into Ireland, into our, our kitchen, the house I grew up in and my mom making it in the microwave oven and how like the texture of it and how she kind of got a crispy on top. And I still to this day don't know how she did that. And, um, you know, it like things like like sponges which are, are steamed cakes and are put or what we would call puddings that are just like steamed cakes things that um that as a child that i had they just they just kind of you know those like food memories that really like resonate with you how have you seen um baking intersect with this pandemic that we're all living through. It seems like uh, a lot of people are gardening more and growing their own food. They're cooking more. They're having meals as a family. Uh, unfortunately, people are eating out less at restaurants. And I say unfortunately because we know our restaurants are suffering and struggling and restaurants not only play a great role in society, but they've played a hugely important role for Shar Strength's No Kid Hungry campaign. But I imagine that baking has been a source of comfort for a lot of folks all around the world during this pandemic. Yeah, it, um, it sure has. We, um, I, I can't, I don't even know where to begin to tell you. We, our busiest time of the year is uh, November, December. That's mm -hmm. where we do um, our, our, our biggest business. And since the world went into a lockdown in March, our feet didn't hit the ground. Um, our website traffic, um, like multiplied 500 times like we we were releasing new content on a daily basis we couldn't keep up with the comments all of our staff who work this on the social media side were working around the clock we just couldn't keep up with the demand and um a lot of them, what we were hearing was um about a bit of escapism uh, uh, um uh, that baking was a bit of it was a nice escape that it was a stress reliever that it just let them think about nothing else but like a banana bread for the next like hour and um it's it's funny with people who um maybe find themselves like working from home now and we found this a lot with men actually started baking and making breads and making doughs and scones and things like that because they had this they weren't commuting to the office men and women weren't commuting to the office they were saving hours a day they were still working but they had this extra time and uh for so for so many different reasons um in households young and old people were getting back to baking which which just is um throughout throughout it's kind of some of the a little bit of silver lining through the uh, around this awful pandemic is that you know people we're resourceful 
and um people couldn't go, go to the shop to buy bread you know and it was too high risk for some people so they would they learned how to make their bread and it goes back to a little bit of needs must it's that they had no choice they couldn't go to the shop so they had to make their own bread and now they um, make sourdough like on a weekly basis and they have their own starter and it's six months old and like it's it's really amazing to see how people adjusted and, and adapted to us uh to this kind of like i'm using air quotes now but this kind of new normal and you know you'd think that once we kind of the lockdown lightened up a little bit in the us that everyone would have gone back to normal but um we've we find that we have we now we now have a whole new um audience of these people who joined during the pandemic and who are still here now for for the long haul and who have found a new skill and it's a new skill it might be a new business um you know whatever it is it's just it's it's really great it makes it it's funny because you know how do you how do i measure success you know for the longest time i thought it was getting a show uh, a cooking show on um you know the food network i thought it was you know tv or something like that and now at this moment in time um seeing uh reading the comments that we get because we get thousands of comments on a weekly basis and uh reading those and and hear hearing people's stories i think like this to me like we've been successful we set out to create a breaking a baking brand and we've created a community and, and we we and you know like this is like this is exactly what we would have hoped to do so Gemma, it sounds like in in terms of the pace that you're keeping it sounds like it's both a sprint and a marathon at the same time is that fair yeah <laughs> um yeah that's a hard thing to pull off <laughs> Yeah, it is. And and then and then also Billy, add on top of that a a uh, a few month old baby. Oh my gosh. And, yeah, so and you, you have a boy or a girl? He's a little boy and he's now um nine and a half months. We were very fortunate. Like I, I, I think when you when you hear um when you think about the pandemic and how it affected us, um it, it affected us in a way like we, we there couldn't have been a better time for us to to stop and have to stay home and and so to have a newborn baby at that time really was unbelievable and he has two parents around around the clock and um, i wasn't traveling which i i normally am and uh, my husband was here also and he just had everybody's attention and we couldn't have asked for that for um for that time with him and so it's it's really we were very, very fortunate that uh, well, we were able to do that. I was just going to ask you what some of your own personal strategies have been for staying sane and healthy, you know, mentally and physically during this pandemic. And it sounds like your son is probably one of those strategies in terms of distraction and just pure joy. But are, are there any others? We've talked to folks who are doing, you know, meditation and yoga and cooking and different things to just help them get through. Uh, anything special for you? You know, it's it's funny. Um, I, I exercise has always been a big part of my life. Ever since I was a kid, my my mom always made us all go out for walks, and not we didn't always love it, but we went. And I was just saying to my husband the other day that it was a skill, just like the way baking and cooking was. It was a skill that she taught us to get out and get moving. And 
uh, like a lot of other people, I have uh, had very anxious moments throughout this pandemic. And um, it is it exercise, even if it's just walking in my neighborhood, it's it's completely free. I can do it at any time. And um, it's just it's always there for me. And even if I if I'm if I'm somewhere else, if I'm traveling or whatever it is, like I can just walk outside the door and then do it with like no equipment or anything. So exercise for me mentally more than physically has been uh, my saving grace. Um, you know, I think the, the one other thing I wanted to talk to you about was, um, and first of all, to say thank you for being involved in our uh, Bakeathon to raise funds for the No Kid Hungry campaign. But how do you choose what kind of kind of community issues or causes you get involved in? I know you get asked to do a lot of different things. How do you sort that out? Where does that fit? You know, not every, uh, although there's a huge amount of great causes out there, not everything is, is a fit. And um, you want to do something that really strikes a chord with you. And um, we, we've we been very fortunate. Uh, well, I say we, I mean, myself, my husband, we've been very fortunate with Bigger Boulder Baking. And we, ha like, we wanted to give back. And um, somebody, um, we hadn't heard of No Kid Hungry. And uh, somebody, or one of our neighbors told us about it. And we looked in to No Kid Hungry and the work that they do. And uh, I, I can't imagine, I, I didn't come, I haven't come from circumstances where I find myself going to bed at night hungry or going to school in the morning with like no food in my stomach. And um, I hope that like my son never has to uh, deal with that either. But you know, you just don't know, you, you just don't know what's around the corner. And um, it's really, really important for me to, um, to be a part of something that like is going to make such a big difference. And, um, you know, the fact that one dollar uh, donated to No Kid Hungry can uh, serve like 10 meals to kids in need is, is pretty unbelievable. So, um, you know, we 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 have the we dedicated the time we set it aside. Um, we did a bake-a-thon, like you said, Billy, uh, recently um, where my husband was um, was a big part of getting everybody together to to pull it off. And. Um, honestly, like throughout my whole life, I think I, 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 I've, I've, you know, I've had ups and downs, like I said, but I've also been very fortunate. So to be able to do, um, to get involved in an organization like No Kid Hungry, it is, it's really my pleasure. Like it really is uh, lovely to be able to help and to make a difference. Well, thank you. And please thank your husband for us as well, because, you know, your timing, um, it, it, it could not be more important. We're all watching the same stories and the same news about the unprecedented level and number of Americans who, in many cases, could say what you and I are saying now in terms of the good fortune that we've had and have, you know, had ups and downs, but have never been hungry. But now thousands and thousands of Americans are finding that uh, they do need help for the for the first time. Almost forty percent of the folks that we're seeing who need emergency food assistance, it's the first time that they've done it. Thanks to you, your husband, others in the culinary community and beyond the culinary community, frankly, because we've got the broadest base of support we've ever had for this work. We've been able to just in the last six or seven months, Gemma, put out sixty million dollars in grants to school districts, schools, community organizations, anybody that's working to replace the meals that so many 
uh, low-income kids have counted on at schools, but now their schools are closed or they're in a hybrid situation. So it, it really is, uh, you know, I've been doing this for 35 years, which must sound like a very long time uh, to you or to anybody, but uh, in the 35 years, I've just literally have never seen the need at, at this level, uh, but I've also never seen so many folks in our community respond so generously. It's really been uh, moving and somewhat astonishing to know that uh, so many Americans uh, really do want to make a difference. And I think people know, you know, in their gut, in their heart, that hunger in America doesn't make sense. Uh, even in a pandemic, we don't have shortages of food here, fortunately, and we don't have shortages of food programs. So to the extent that we can all make sure we're reaching out and reaching people that are in need. Uh, it's a temporary need. This is a solvable problem. Uh, I think Americans are responding to it. So we will get to the other side of this, but it's uh, it's been extraordinary. And and we're about halfway through uh, with Share Our Strength's No Kid Hungry campaign, a, a push to make sure that you know we get to every community, every town, every school district, uh, that needs this help because there's so many issues that people face during this pandemic. Hunger shouldn't be one of them. So again, thanks so much for for pitching in and for giving voice to this and making it a, a, a part of what you do. Yeah, thank you. Well, like you said, it's um, it's a solvable problem. It, it really is. Uh, but it is like uh, like everything else. It is. It's going to take um, it's going to take a village to 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 solve this problem. Uh, well, it is. And um, again, thank you, Gemma. We're running out of time. I'm looking forward to the time when uh, I either get back to Santa Monica or you and your husband and little boy come to Maine uh, and we can find some of those uh, lobster shacks and oh, yeah. uh, enjoy this coast because it would be great to connect in person. But uh, congratulations on your success. Congratulations on Bigger Boulder Baking, which I urge everybody to to order, uh, whether it's a pandemic or not, there could not be a better time for that book uh, and for your philosophy and fearless approach. And thanks for inspiring us with your own story, Gemma, of of the ups and downs and of the resilience and of being fearless, because it shows that you know you can accomplish what you want to when you stick to it. Thank you, Billy. I really appreciate it. It was lovely to talk to you. We've been talking to Gemma Stafford from Bigger Boulder Baking. This is Add Passion and Stir. Thanks for listening. Thanks to the entire team at Share Our Strength and the No Kid Hungry campaign and to our producer, Paul Whittle at District Productive. You can go to addpassionandstir.com and find other episodes. You can rate us and rank us and subscribe and share with your friends. I'm Billy Shore. Thanks for listening. <laughs>